Thanks, Asher. Good morning, everyone. Another wonderful day to be able to be here and worship and honor God. Uh, I'm going to uh, be in a few different passages today, but I'm going to back up and remind us what we've been talking about here for a while. We've been sh- I've been sharing some uh, information that I found very helpful to my own spiritual walk uh, that I wanted to pass along to you, starting way back with, is there a God? And we talked about why there's lots of reasons why we can believe that there's a God, that he's there, that he's made himself evident. We just got to see him. Like we talked about, for example, there's this moral code out there that seems to be uh, built into us. If you go to a playground and two kids are arguing with each other, inevitably one of them will say, that's not fair. Because somewhere built deep inside of us as people, there's, this, there's something that tells us that some things are good, some things are wrong, and that points to something greater than ourselves. It's not just a social construct. There's something much deeper and much greater saying there is a God that is there that has created us. And we spent a lot more time, I'm just giving some nuts and bolts here, but we spent a lot more time talking about that and what that looks like. Uh, We have gotten closer as we've gone along talking about how, why I'm a Christian, why you're a Christian, and some of these reasons that help us understand and give some muscle to our faith. Because there's lots of different belief systems out there. There's lots of different opinions out there about what the right thing to do is and who the right person to worship is. But there's something about, there's lots of things about the Christian God that cause us to say, this is the God I want to worship, and this is why I follow him as a Christian. Now, I'm going to uh, give an example or an analogy first, just like Jesus does and Paul does, gives a lot of different analogies to help us understand uh, some greater spiritual truth. But as we're going into spring, there's been something on my mind right now. Uh, Soccer is a beautiful and flowing game. As you guys know, I've coached soccer for a number of years, and I'll coach a kid's team this spring as well. And it all started with, when my daughter was five, There was uh, we signed her up to be on a soccer team, and I got an email saying, there is no one to coach this soccer team. And I thought, man, coaching five-year-olds, how hard can that be? I'm going to give this a shot. And boy, it was uh, was something, trying to to coach uh, this little five-year-old girl's soccer team that most of them were much more interested in the dandelions that grew on the field than the ball. And I had to use all sorts of things. In fact, one of the greatest things that I ever figured out, and it, wasn't, it didn't come from me, someone else suggested it as a coach, is uh, for these little five-year-olds, I had one parent stand behind one of the goals, and they're just those little goals, uh, that, that there was no goalkeeper, but one of the parents would stand behind the goal with a bag of M&Ms and shake it. <laughs> and the kids were instructed, take the ball, and put it in the goal where the M&Ms are. Not the other goal, not the other direction, but put it in that goal. And then when you do, you get some M&Ms. And man, all of a sudden, that team came alive, and they were it was amazing. And as I've continued to coach, I've coached older kids as, as, we go, as I've, I've learned more and as my kids have grown up. And something that I just appreciate so much, maybe the, some of the most fun parts of coaching, is when we first start, The first time we practice together, I have the parents come for part of the practice, and I talk with the parents. 
But you can tell that these kids are insecure. They're uncomfortable with each other. Uh, There's always new kids on the team that haven't played before, and there's some that have a lot of experience. And something I tell them is, look, all of you guys are going to make mistakes. All of you are going to fall short. You guys just keep getting up and you just keep going. And this is how you play the game, and I teach as we go along, and I learn a whole lot from the kids because the kids go to these summer camps, and they'll come back and say, my coach at the summer camp taught me this. I said, okay, wait a minute, time out. You tell everybody what you just told me, and we're going to do that. That sounds awesome. I've never heard that before, but that's great. And so we all learn together. But it's amazing from the first practice to the final game how the game evolves and the kids just become more comfortable. And all of a sudden, you see, I remember the first time that I started seeing passing happen. I thought, that, that was a pass. And that was intentional. That wasn't an accident. That was actually a pass. And that was amazing. And you start to see this flow happen. And the different positions start to play. It's, when the kids are small, it's called what we call horde ball. And what it means is wherever the ball is, there's a horde of kids that just chase that ball around. And that's just how it works. But as kids grow up, what happens is there's positions. Like there's a goalkeeper, that can, the only person on the field that can use their hands. And the defenders, their job is to protect that goalkeeper and to move the ball forward. And so when the ball comes back, it's just amazing watching defenders as they learn to clog and create havoc for the other team as the ball is coming down that direction and to close in and to to be aggressive and to watch the midfielders, the next line up, watch the midfielders learn how to receive that ball and to look forward and pass and, and to see the beauty of the game develop that way. Or to even, for the attackers, something that kids, everybody wants to be an attacker. And I tell them, no, maybe you don't. Because the attackers, if the game is played well, touch the ball less than everybody else. Because the rest of the team chases the ball to some extent, and the attackers have to believe that the ball will come to them. Because if they go back and they chase the ball, then there's nobody to play attacker. They have to wait and they have to troll up there for the ball to come to them. That's, it's tough to teach kids that because everybody wants to chase the ball, you know. But it's just so beautiful and it's so amazing when all of it comes together and it all flows. Now, if the soccer analogy is not for you, I'll give you a couple others and you can take these with you through uh, the lesson this morning. If you love quilting, okay, and you've love to see how quilts come together. Isn't it beautiful when you see a quilt that all these different patches, all these different things all come together and make something beautiful? How many of you have made quilts before? I'm only raising my hand as an example. I do, I've never made a quilt. Okay? Not ever happened. But I can appreciate the beauty of it. Or if um, we think about it from the perspective of a medical uh, situation, the human body. Now, the human body is is amazingly complex, right? There's so many things uh, that have to go right for us to be healthy that it's just a wonder that any of us are healthy ever because it just takes something very, very small, just a few cancer cells or a blood disorder that imbalances everything, that all of a sudden everything else starts crashing around. And we think, man, this, uh, this is a complex, wonderful system, but something can create havoc in it. But think about what an amazing situation. Our nerves and our our blood and all of those systems work together in harmony to create this flow and something really, really beautiful. Okay. Now we're going to come back to that analogy. But we're going to talk about, before we get to something closer to home, we're going to talk about the divine coach that is out there. This God that we serve, 
there are some qualities about him that are very important for us to understand if we're going to serve him and realize why he is different than any other God and any other religion out there. Okay, there is a term that many of us, I'm sure, have heard, the term Trinity. Has anybody heard that term? Okay. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of background where that comes from because that term does not occur in Scripture. But there's, uh, applied correctly, it's helpful for us, okay? So, when you go back to the beginning of creation, God reveals himself in pieces at different times. Like, for example, when the Israelites go to Mount Sinai, God appears to Moses and says, here I am, this is who I am. God, the Lord, the Lord, the wonderful, of the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he speaks to that. He says, this is the God that I am. When we get to the New Testament, something happens with the way Jesus speaks about God that reveals more of who God is. And you see shadows of it in the Old Testament, but we really see it when Jesus speaks of God. For example, when Jesus is giving the mission to the, his people as he is being taken up into heaven, he says, go into all the world, baptize, make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, that's what you're supposed to do. And in that, he reveals something about God that wasn't known before. And in the times after uh, the New Testament, there was all sorts of discussion about what does this mean that God reveals himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? And what are the implications of that? So let's look at a couple of passages here in John. And you'll notice the term comes up over and over again here, glorify or give glory, and that means to praise, to enjoy, to delight in, to really enjoy the company of the other person, to be excited about. And look what is, is shared here. No one has ever seen God, and this is Jesus speaking, but the one and only Son who is himself God and as and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Do you see the relationship between God and Jesus there, glorifying one another, encouraging one another. He, and this is speaking about the Spirit later, will glorify me, Jesus is speaking here, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Okay, There's this mutually beneficial, encouraging relationship that is happening here. Look at these verses here. I have brought you, the Father, glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. In other words, as Jesus is speaking to his Father here, Jesus being 100% God, 100% man, on earth, speaking to his Father, who is also God, saying, hey, I, am, I have done this to bring honor to your name, and you're going to bring honor to my name. Do you see what's happening here? God is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by self-giving love. That's how God rules. That's how he operates. And if you think about that, is think about if God was a God that was self-serving and uh, continually self-centered. Man, I think uh, Christianity wouldn't work for a lot of different reasons. But let's take a step back and look at this divine coach that we have. By nature, he is a God that is not self-centered, but in how he interacts and how he reveals himself, is continually building the other parts of him up. Okay? 
Now, I think it's too much, too far one direction. Now, let me take a time out here for just a second. Because when we talk about Trinity, if you want to, or, or the, the parts of God, if you, there's, there's more than you can read in a lifetime out there for you to try to wrestle through and digest. And there have been wars that have been fought over how to define this exactly and the people that have been executed because of it in the Middle Ages and all that. And what I wanted to leave us with here, just for our purposes today, is that if we say that God is completely, totally three different individual people, that misses the point. And if we say that all of this is, uh, there, there's no separation whatsoever within God, we're missing the point there as well. Okay, those are two extremes. So somewhere in the middle here lies this mystery of the nature of God. And if you wrestle with it and you think, boy, I can't seem to get my head around that, then good, you're in a great place then. Because if we could understand everything about God, God wouldn't be all that mysterious, would he? He wouldn't be that far above us. He would be one of us. And so that's part of why Jesus came, is to help explain who God was. But just for our purposes today, just understand that God is three in one, okay? Like a a three-leaf clover. In fact, that's how Patrick, St. Patrick's Day, that's how he, when he was preaching the message of God to the people of Ireland, that's what he would do. He'd pick a clover up and say, this is how God works. See, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God is all part of this clover, but they all work together in this relationship that is flowing and beautiful together. Now think about this. There is a word that doesn't, uh, that's appeared in the early church, and uh, it's written down there at the bottom, uh, perichoresis, and what it means is this to flow together or this wonderful synergy or to dance together or to that what happens on the soccer field when things are really flowing well is everybody is unselfish and it's just going awesome and it's beautiful to watch. It's like our human body. It's beautiful to watch all of it work together. That is the divine coach that we have. That's his nature. Now, when we get to creation, it's not a surprise to us that God, who is like this, that works in a beautiful flow, that when he created the world, he looked down and said, all, and and scripture says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. You can imagine, as God is there among creation, looking around and saying, man, look at these beautiful trees and how they, how they, they work together. Now, one tree pollinates another tree and how they grow in the sunlight. This is just gorgeous. This is beautiful. I love it. This is good. Or look at the animals that are living together in harmony here, that everything is beautiful, everything is wonderful. And man, do you see the flow? Do you see the beauty there? And look what else I created that I'm really excited about, is I created man and I created woman. And there's going to be this beautiful flow between them and that they are different, but they're going to be one and they are going to live in this relationship and they're going to show my love to the rest of the world that way and I want them to increase and multiply. And look at the amazing thing that I've created here and this is very, very good. I'm really excited about it. And that last two chapters, right? In Genesis chapter 3, something happens that sin enters the world. Now, on the soccer field, something that happens inevitably is there's always a kid, and it happens in the pros, and so I'm not going to pick on kids here because we as adults do it if we play soccer long enough, is we look around and think, boy, 
I know just a little bit more than everybody else here, and I'm just a little bit better than everybody else here. And if we're going to do what needs to be done as a team, then I must take control of things right here, and I must uh, let my skills show through, and I'm going to rock this team and this league. Also known as a ball hog. And what happens is all of a sudden this flowing, beautiful organism out there of a soccer team becomes one kid deciding, I am going to control everything and it's all about me. Now there's one position on the team that you want a little bit of that. The center forward. Whenever the ball comes near them, you want them to shoot. That's what their job is. That's what their personality is supposed to be, okay? But for the most part, whenever that comes into the team, what happens is things start falling apart. It ceases to be beautiful. The team starts arguing among themselves, and things don't go smoothly. It doesn't go well. And that's what happens. Genesis chapter 3, we know the story of Adam and Eve is there's temptation comes, ultimately there's a selfish desire to say, I want what I want instead of what is best. I'm going to step out of this wonderful flow, this beautiful, amazing relationship that we have here, and I am going to do something that I want, and I don't care what the consequences are to everybody else. Adam and Eve eat the fruit, sin enters the world, and it continues on for the generations afterwards. There are two boys... As they're out, uh, they offer sacrifices to God, and God says one of them, wait, wait a minute, your brother offered the best of the best, and you've offered something you've missed out. Okay, Offer what I ask you. Give me the best, and watch and see how I'm going to bless you, and see how all of this is going to go well for you. And the brother says, Cain says, it's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I want to right now. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to eliminate my brother instead of humbling myself. And man, it just continues on. And the further we get into Genesis and we get into Scripture, more and more and more sinful, selfish behavior comes in that is the exact opposite of what God has called people to be. So you have these people that are created in God's image that he said initially, this is very good. This is awesome. This is beautiful doing the exact opposite and pursuing whatever they can do to be selfish and damaging to the people around them. Ball hogs. Do we live in a world of ball hogs? I think so. We can't uh, go very far without turning on the news and um, looking around us and saying, wait a minute, that was done out of selfish behavior. That was done just to honor self. It wasn't about what can I do for blessing others and being in this great relationship that is flowing and beautiful. This is all about what can I get out of the situation. Completely opposite of what God created us to do and be. If you look at Romans 1 in the adult class this morning, we talked about Romans chapter 1, what happens when we decide to be selfish instead of look to God for guidance as we, this, there's this cascade of sinful, destructive behavior that we get ourselves into as people. And again, we can't look around us very far without saying, wow, what a mess we live in. In fact, if we're going to be truly honest, we can't look very far into our heart, can we, without saying, boy, I just did that because that was selfish, and that's it. This is all about me, isn't it? And that's where we've got to start. So how do we get things back? How do we get back to this 
beautiful flowing game that uh, was the Garden of Eden. How do we get back to, to something beautiful like that? How can we restore some of that? And that is where Jesus comes in. And we know the story is that Jesus, born of Mary, comes into the world, and being 100% God, 100% mankind, he comes and shows us this is what the heart of God is about. And Jesus does something different that people didn't anticipate. Instead of bringing swords and clubs and creating this great military force that was going to kick the Romans out, what he does is he comes and he shows that power comes through submission and self-sacrifice. And the world didn't understand that. Man, that was tough. And Jesus died and was executed because of it because he said, what's going to happen here is by me sacrificing, I'm going to show something beautiful and more amazing than than mankind has ever seen before. In fact, in Philippians it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And So you see what Jesus did is instead of landing on earth and saying, hey, you know what? Because I am God, and I am greater than everybody else here, and I know more than everybody else here, and I'm way faster than everybody else here, and I've got better ball control skills, and I can shoot better than everybody else here. I'm in charge, okay? And I'm going to be the ball hog. But that's not what happens. He could have, because he did know more. He was more than everybody else. But what Jesus did was something very, very different. As he said, yes, I am God, but I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to show power through submission here. I'm going to do something totally different. And it's going to blow everybody's mind because that's not how you guys operate anymore. Since the fall, it's been totally different. And I'll show you something. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the example that Jesus showed for us. He says, very, very loose paraphrasing, I could be a ball hog, but I'm not going to be. This is all about me sacrificing for the good of others. Because that's how we work as God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We work to glorify each other, and that's what I'm going to do here. Look at another verse that Jesus shares this in John 17 before he goes to the cross. Some of the last things he says before he is arrested. He's praying to his father. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me for their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Wait wait, wait a minute. Do you you see what he just said here? He says, just like... You and I have this great relationship where we glorify one another. I, my prayer is, is that the people that will believe the message of the apostles years later, us, I believe that, I hope that they can see the relationship that you and I have and they can imitate that. That's my prayer. That there's peace, that there's harmony, that there's this flowing, beautiful game that they participate in in life. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory, there it is again, the glory, okay, that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And boy, 
You see what Jesus is praying for here? Just as we, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, have this beautiful game, beautiful flow among us, that's what I want for my people. That's what I hope that they can see. That's what I hope that they can pick up. That's what I hope that they can understand. That's what I pray for. Because when people act that way, it is so different than everyone else in the world, and it's powerful and it's beautiful. And if there's anything that's going to be divine, sure, healing the sick, easy. Pardon the Red Sea, easy. But you take a bunch of people that have this sinful nature in them, and they're transformed into a people that is, has this beautiful flow among them, that's a miracle. That's divine. That's amazing. And that's what I pray for. That's what I want. That's what I want the world to see. That great, wonderful transformation. And he continues on. He says, Then the world will know that you have sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Isn't it amazing that Jesus didn't say, The world will know that, they, that I have sent them if they all glow this amazing color and they walk around or if they all dress the same, or if they all have the same unified language, or if they, you know, any number of things, if everyone who becomes a Christian can place their hands on somebody and they just become well immediately. Jesus didn't choose any of that stuff. God didn't choose any of that stuff. He chose something much, much closer to the heart of God, is that people can have this heart where they're self-sacrificing for each other and it creates this beautiful, amazing flow. That's what Jesus prayed for. Father, I want those you have given me you where I am and to see my glory, the glory you gave me because you love me before the creation of the world. And that's what I want, Father. That's what we want. That's why I came. That's why you and I and the Holy Spirit function as we do because we want to restore the people that we created to have this beautiful Floor, flow where they glorify one another. They're not selfish anymore. They're selfless. That's beautiful and it's amazing. Do you see why, from what we talked about here, that Christianity never works as one person here and one person there? Because that's not the nature of God. Is that the nature of God is to exist in community and show something beautiful through that. And that's why... It just never really works when we say, my Christianity is in the woods and that's it. Now that's just a way of saying, I want to escape any, any difficulty that might come from living in a community of God. I'm living and walking side by side with other people. I can get the goodness of God, the parts of God that I like, but I don't have to do anything about it in far as, as the real hard work is, uh, is learning to flow with other people. I can just do my thing. And it just, it just never works because we miss the very heart of God if we don't live in community. Uh, there is something that is fundamentally different here as well from uh, Christianity and, and other religions of the world. Is that, do you see how, first of all, that God is very different? This God that exists in community that is, that is beautiful and flowing. Okay, very different than you look at the Greek gods or the Roman gods, all these different gods that are warring with each other constantly. There's no flow. There's no beauty there. They just, they're terrible to each other. Or on the other side, you have, uh, in the Islam faith, you have one god that is complete and totally absolute. There's not, a, there's not love there. How do you have that? How can you show that? How can you demonstrate that? But the God, the way he's revealed himself through Jesus, has shown this, has demonstrated it very clearly. We exist together and we show something beautiful that way.
But for us as Christians, what God has called us not to do, and Christianity is never this, as so many religions of the world are, is just a way to escape what is here. God has called us to something very different. Is that as the church, as God's people that are called out, we are to be people that show this flow, this beautiful harmony among us, just as God does to the world that doesn't see it anywhere else. That's powerful, and that's beautiful. And um, you may be saying, wait, 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 Chris, I, I know that's, I get you, I get it, I see that's how God's nature is, I know that's how, that's how we're supposed to be, but I think all of us have those church stories where someone who is a spiritual person that we looked up to did something di- disastrous and terrible that was very hurtful. Now, we all have those stories, we all see it. All of us fall short in those ways because we're in process. When we talk about as us as a church wanting to get back to the basics of Christianity and be simple about it, there's a couple of questions I, I ask. Are we talking about the ideal or are we talking about the reality? Because if we're talking about the ideal, hey, I'm on board with that. Let's do this. Let's continue to look more like what Jesus wants us to be. If we're talking about the reality, then we have to go back to Corinth and read 1 Corinthians and see that there's all sorts of immorality and selfishness happening in the church that Paul says, you look worse than the people outside the church. This is terrible. Because we're in process, okay? And that is the same as going to be true for us, is that we're in process, and we're going to fall short of the ideal here somewhere, but that does not give us an excuse to just do what we please. God has called us to a very high standard that is love one another and show this beautiful flow, this beautiful game to the rest of the world, because that's going to be more powerful than anything else you can do. Think about this. This is the ideal. Someday, Revelation 21, John gets to look into eternity, if we can say it that way. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And check this out here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Do you see what's happened? Is John is able to look into eternity and see, wait a minute, the beautiful flow has been regained. There it is. There it is again. And you continue reading, you see John trying to explain in human words things that can't be explained in human words, but doing his best through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But you see, the beautiful and flowing game has returned. And that's the future that all of us have when we follow Jesus. Um, but let's make sure that we don't just say, all right, I've become a Christian, my job is to just check out and just wait for eternity to come to me. Because for us, eternity starts now. Eternity's already started. And our job is to be this example of this beautiful flow to the rest of the people around us. As uh, I mentioned earlier, Jesus said, go out in the world, teach them to be disciples, baptize them and bring them in. That's what's supposed to happen. That's your mission, is to bring more and more people into this beautiful flowing community that I've created for you. There's a passage that I'm going to read in the Gospel of John because John uh, speaks in these terms quite a bit. And he uses another example. He uses the example of the vine and the branches. 
uh, just like I use the soccer analogy, the analogy of the body, analogy of the quilt. And so, um, if, with the analogies of the quilt and the, and the body, if you have uh, a quilt that is made out of very diverse materials and some of the material decides it's not going to participate and you wash it, what happens? It gets all ugly looking and it's all twisted around and it doesn't flow well. Or you have a body that has a little bit of cancer in it. Things start not flowing well. That's the idea there. And John talks about in, in verse, or chapter 15, I'm going to read some of these passages here. I don't have them written down up there. But uh, go, go ahead and turn your Bibles to John 15. Because this is one of these passages that popped up on my daily scripture. Every morning about the time I get up, my phone chirps, and there's a scripture that comes up that is a daily scripture that I look at. And that's one of the ways that I connect with God. I'm doing the daily Bible this year and reading through the Bible in a year and, and some various things. But, but that's one of the things that I find that's helpful. How many of you any of you have a daily scripture that pops up on your phone? Yeah, it's great. It's a great one of many tools that we have access to. And this is the passage that came up in chapter 15, verse 1 through 4, what Asher read here just a minute ago. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So there's three basic positions or places that we can exist, as Jesus reveals to here reveals here, is that we can be people, on the one hand, that do not bear fruit. Okay, now, what does that mean, bearing fruit? If you look at this context here, what I've noticed is above this section and below this section, Jesus is talking a lot about loving one another, glorifying each other, this beautiful flow. Okay, So I think we have to think beyond... Bearing fruit means I was responsible for baptizing so many people this year, okay? I think that's a misreading of what Jesus is talking about here, is, which is important. All of us should be seeking and saving the lost and be active in doing that and getting out of our comfort zones on a regular basis, okay? We'll talk more about that as we go along. But I believe what Jesus is referring to here specifically is part of bearing good fruit, or a huge part of bearing good fruit is being part of this flow where you're part of the solution and good fruit is pouring out of you and you are glorifying and raising others up and blessing others in the kingdom of God. You're contributing to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And if you're not bearing fruit, if you're creating the problems, if this is the goodness of God is not coming out of your life, then you will be removed. That's what he says here. And I remember reading that thinking, hmm, so I'm laying in my bed, my phone is there thinking, boy, I never want to be the person that is cut off or removed from the kingdom of God because I'm stirring the pot, I'm creating problems. That's not godly. It's not okay. The other, another option is that when we don't bear fruit, God prunes us and he works on us. Uh, I know that uh, Tony was over at our house the other night and we have some apple trees and pears and and plums in the yard. And Tony is an expert arborist. He worked on fruit trees as a kid. I didn't realize that. And I said, Tony, come outside. Let's go look at this. And Tony looked at my trees and he said, oh. He was a little nicer than that. But he gave all sorts of tips. And I probably need to invite him out again and say, all right, Tony, you told me all this stuff, but we need to prune these trees back. And you've got to tell me what you're talking about here, okay? 
And God does that with us, is that when good fruit isn't coming out of our lives, these tough, difficult circumstances that come our direction is God's way of saying, hey, you're not bearing good fruit. I'm going to work on you. I'm going to prune you. I'm going to help so that you can be. And this is going to be, it's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. Do not block me out during these times. Embrace the difficulty. Embrace the hurt. And I'm going to bring you into a place where you can bear fruit again. Because that's option number three that God wants all of us, is that we be people where the fruit is flowing out of our lives as we are part of the community of God that the world outside can look and say, wow, that's something I don't have, something I really need. That's beautiful and that's amazing. These people, as they interact with each other, are honorable and truthful and they speak the truth in love. And it's awesome. And I want me some of that. And when we live that way, bearing fruit, God does amazing stuff among us. And um, I'm thankful as a church that we deliberately make the decision to be that way. We're not perfect. We've got our shortcomings. I see so much great spiritual fruit that I experience that hopefully I give back. But I see in you guys. Just one example, one very, very small example. Marla Williams passed away here this last week. And uh, it's amazing to me just how many people have reached out to their family, provided blessings in some ways. Some of the ladies in the church have been staying with Mary and her mom, whom she was a caregiver for the last while, just saying, what can I do to be a blessing, to show some beautiful flow of the goodness of God here? Let's not forget that. Let's not be the fruit that is cut off, but be the people that are always looking to flow good into the people around us. And in that... According to God, we represent the nature of the God that we serve. We're going to go in and share the Lord's Supper, and then we'll sing our way out. If you would like to become a Christian, you'd like prayers, head to the back, and there's people back there that will pray with you, whatever your situation may be, and, uh, and talk you through how to become a Christian today if you'd like to do that. Let's go ahead and, and um, come on down. and we'll.